Hello, hello, what is up? This is Jeff Morton with a very, very special CSG podcast series. Uh, this one is, uh, well, this one's going to be for the 10th anniversary, believe it or not, of the 2008-2009 Denver Nuggets, the last team in the Denver Nuggets to win a playoff series and the last team to go to the Western Conference Finals. Um, this is absolutely one of those uh, can't-believe-it's-been-that-long moments. And uh, I think that this deserves, since it was a special team, I think it deserves a special series. So this will be, I don't know how many parts this will be, but this will be, we will be examining uh, this team through the season and through, you know, a various podcasts. And I hope to have some guests on who remember the time and uh, all that stuff. But you're going to be getting a lot of uh, information about those Denver Nuggets teams, and you're going to be getting a lot of, uh, of kind of historical context to the why that season was as special as it was. Um, and I think, uh, to put this into proper perspective, that Western Conference Finals team, you know, you never remember the team, the almost teams. Like, that's the, the way of the NBA. You don't remember the teams that almost made it. You always remember the teams that won. And that has been true throughout Nuggets history, particularly their 1978 and 1985 Western Conference Finals teams. Uh, the 78 team uh, was the best team in basketball um, and should have won the title that year. Um, then one of the biggest, probably the best ever Denver Nuggets teams from 1974 to 1978 were uh, the team that just could never get over the hump and then had a series of bad luck things happen. Particularly with that Nuggets team was uh, Brian Taylor, their point guard, just basically quitting midseason and them having to play the rest of the season without a point guard. Uh, that, that was something that no one at the time anticipated. The 85 team had an injured Calvin Nat, an injured Alex English, and an injured Fat Lever. And uh, they, if you talk to anyone on that team, particularly Alex English and Dan Issel, they will tell you that uh, um, the Lakers were great, but they should have taken them seven games. And uh, if you look at the way that series went out, and this particularly game two and game four, really the Nuggets should have at least taken two games. Uh, from that, one of the best Lakers teams of all time. Um, 2009, um, the circumstances of that of that team and that season are really interesting. And I think with the passage of time, people have forgotten what was going on in the off season of that year that really profoundly affected all future Denver Nuggets teams, not just that particular team. Um, and this particular podcast is going to encompass the off-season of 2008, the aftermath of the highly disappointing 2007-2008 Denver Nuggets team, and how that affected Stan Kroenke, affected uh, George Carl, and basically altered the course of the Denver Nuggets. Really, that offseason can be encompassed in one trade. And before we get to that trade, we were going to talk about 
the end of the 19, uh, excuse me, 19, of the 2008 season. Um, the Denver Nuggets snuck into the playoffs and they won 50 games. Could potentially the 2007-2008 uh, regular season of the Western Conference was the most competitive in its history. Um, the, you can't even describe it as top-heavy. Nine of the teams in the conference won at least 48 games. Um, Golden State, after the year before the We Believe Golden State uh, Warriors, who had beat the Dallas Mavericks in the 2006-2007 season, uh, this uh, <laughs> particular season in 2008 saw the Lakers winning 57 games and the Nuggets winning 50, and they were the eighth seed. Uh, in, in the history, I believe in the history of, of the NBA, that was the first time you had eight teams winning 50, at least 50 games. It was an incredible competitive balance that year. So when it came to that season, you could look at it and, 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 and look at that Denver Nuggets team and think, okay, this is, a Island Iverson, Marcus Camby, uh, Carmelo Anthony, um, Kenyon Martin. And they missed a point guard. Um, I believe that season their point guard was Anthony Carter. And uh, Anthony Carter ended up being a good, adequate backup. Uh, he will factor in greatly in the end of that particular 2009 Western Conference Finals run, but he was uh, the starting point guard, and it, it just, they didn't have that, and plus none of the people on the team played defense, and I believe the 2008 season is when Marcus Camby won Defensive Player of the Year, and it was just a sham. Uh, let's face it, he didn't deserve it that year. He got a bunch of blocks, but everyone knew that he didn't really play, quote, defense. Um, so, after that season, Going into the playoffs, that Denver Nuggets team that snuck into the playoffs ended up getting swept by the Lakers, um, they, a newly resurgent uh, Lakers team uh, that had traded uh, mid-season for Pau Gasol. Gasol fundamentally, fundamentally altered that team, and they became a juggernaut for the next three seasons. Um, the Los Angeles Lakers were the best team in basketball, uh, and with that one trade. The Nuggets couldn't keep up, but they had an enormously high payroll because they had traded for Allen Iverson in 2006, and his contract and Melo's contract and Kenyon Martin's contract took up the majority, and Marcus Camby's contract, took up the majority of the salary cap, and it uh, was a mess. And... The Nuggets got swept, and there was at one point, I believe in Game 3, uh, uh, at home, the Nuggets are getting blown out, and uh, Mello sat there on the bench, screaming at George Carl to just don't sit there, do something. And that left an indelible image on the Iverson-era Nuggets. It was just a, an essay about how things, how things weren't working out. Now... That also had a profound effect on one Stan Kroenke, and this is prior. This is prior to him uh, giving up control 
quote-unquote, business control of the Denver Nuggets. And uh, he still very much had a hand in what was going on. And he made the determination that he didn't want to play, pay luxury tax for a team that was barely going to squeak in and not win playoff games. So the decision was made to trade Defensive Player of the Year Marcus Camby to the Los Angeles Clippers. In return, the Nuggets got a pile of what I used to, re to refer to as a pile of hair. Um, but basically what it was amounted to a $10 million trade exception that, uh, of course, they never use because no one ever uses all of their trade exceptions. It's just, uh, it's just something that uh, it's the ultimate fluff in the NBA is uh, trade exceptions. It's the thing that GMs can look at and say, oh, look, I got a massive trade exception, and then they never use it. Um, so they got a trade exception for, for Marcus Camby, and the sole purpose of this trade was to get under the luxury tax. That was it. Everyone knew it at the time. It was a salary dump trade. And the perception at the time was that this Nuggets team was uh, just about to do the El Foldo. And uh, even there were even speculation that the, a, that the Detroit Pistons were actively interested in Carmelo Anthony after that in the aftermath of that trade and with the portland trailblazers on the rise uh the dallas mavericks still being good and uh basically the nuggets had become an afterthought because of that one trade well coming into that off season that the the, the profound effect that the the flame out had also affected George Carl. Now, this affects blogging history in Denver. Okay, uh, there were two blogs operating at the time. There was uh, Pickaxe and Roll, which was run by Jeremy Wagon Jeremy Wagner, uh, and there was Denver. Excuse me, not Denver Stiffs. FireGeorgeCarl.com. FireGeorgeCarl.com was started midway through the 2007-2008 season by one Andy Feinstein, good friend of mine. Um, and firegeorgecarl.com got so much notoriety that, uh, George's, uh, George's lawyer, Brett Adams got involved. And if anyone, anyone wants to read up on the history of firegeorgecarl.com, uh, you need to, uh, go search the archives of Denver Stiffs because Andy wrote, was at the time, Andy was a rogue independent blogger and he, basically was had the freedom to write whatever he wanted or so he thought and that started out a a, a different kind of track but at the time of the Camby trade uh andy wrote pretty some pretty fearless articles on what was happening and even going so far as to criticize uh heavily one you know stanley cronky and it got under the Nuggets' skin. And, but I think it had a positive effect on this team and their direction. Um, George, at the time, George Carl. Now, those of you who remember George, uh, kind of, I think what happened in the aftermath of the 2008-2009 season 
obscured the fact that George was mailing it in in 2007-2008. He kind of just sat there like a lump. He didn't really do anything. Um, George, George had given up and I think largely had accepted the fact that he was eventually going to get fired based on the way they were playing. Uh, even though they won 50 games, uh, it was very disappointing. And uh, Andy was relentlessly on him, thus firegeorgecarl.com. Fire and uh, his relationship with de various Denver media members, I'm speaking of Andy, and his uh, kind of foray into what would larger, largely become accepted mainstream media, well, it began its journey with relentlessly criticizing George. George did not take kindly to it. But, but, and I will say this is a major caveat to this. It, I believe firmly, and I think if you talk to, talk to Andy, he'll tell you the positive impact, the pressure that was applied had on that Nuggets team, uh, specifically the organization and George, was something that affected everything, uh, particularly going into that season. George said, we're going to do things my way. We're going to play defense. Uh, and his newfound approach greatly contributed to a kind of a different, different kind of uh, mental style from George that he had for a while. He became Seattle George Carl. And it, because let's face it, George's time in Milwaukee uh, greatly affected him. Uh, his rancorous relationship with Ray Allen had tempered him. And he wasn't dr driven anymore. He was a coach that had a big contract, but he wasn't that driven George Carl that you saw, particularly during his, the mid-90s with Seattle. Um, it was the thing that drove him to succeed, but it was largely gone by 2008. And it, all Andy wanted was for George to be George. And finally, finally, through machinations that I won't go into, um, Andy agreed to change the name from firegeorgecarl.com in the offseason of 2008. And George became a different coach. George became a coach that demanded more and expected more. And that had an impact, great impact, on that Nuggets team. So the Canby trade, firegeorgecarl.com. I, I know it sounds like I'm giving too much credit to my friend Andy, but I think people forget, people forget the notoriety that FireGeorgeCarl.com got. It was extreme notoriety, and I think that translated into everything else. The final part of this was a very, at the time, under-the-radar move that uh, Mark Workentine, uh, who was the primary mover and shaker on a lot of the deals in that Nuggets trium triumvirate, which was uh, Mark Orgadine, Rex Chapman, and uh, Brett Barrett. 
he was the one who you could always tell the fingerprints on Mark Warkatine deals. Uh, he was responsible for J.R. Smith. Uh, he was responsible for uh, getting later on Chauncey Billups. Uh, he was largely responsible for some of the biggest and mo- the, the moves that didn't necessarily require uh, a lot of character, but a hell of a lot of a talent. And one of the moves, most underrated moves, I would say in Nuggets history, was acquiring a chastened and newly invigorated Chris Anderson off the scrap heap. Uh, Chris, uh, former Nugget, who was the, and has the distinction of being the very first D-League player to uh, play in the NBA. Um, he was suspended for drugs, and I believe he was out of the league for two years. He got a major, major, major suspension. It was, it was one of those, it's like usually it's a death penalty for players. Well, Chris Birdman, as, he, as he's known, came back to the Denver Nuggets with something to prove. And his impact on the way the fans saw the team and the way he was perceived um, was something that I, I believe is right up there with the Canby trade, George Carl and FireGeorgeCarl.com, and um, uh, the later on the Chauncey Billups trade, which we will cover in the next uh, podcast when I start talking about the, um, the, the actual season. Uh, we will talk about Chauncey Billups and his impact because people forget the Billups trade happened three games in to the uh, 2008 season. Very unusual for a trade to be that, that early. Uh, but anyway, um, we Chris Birdman Anderson became a cult figure in Denver. He became someone who would block shots and get the crowd pumped up. And I think if we look at the impact of Chris Anderson, we don't necessarily see someone who was that much of an accomplished player, but someone who was able to psychologically affect the fans and psychologically affect the players. Because Denver, as far as a basketball town, has gone through periods where, and they've been through one recently, where the crowd is kind of like, eh, we're here, you know, we're kind of here just to, to see the game. Uh, but we're not really here to uh, cheer on the team. Uh, it's been that, it just goes through peaks and valleys like this, and hopefully the Nuggets will resurge again with in Denver's interest uh, with some, you know, success here. But back then, at the end of the Iverson era, Anderson didn't, uh, not Anderson, the Iverson brought the brought the crowds in, but he didn't bring the enthusiasm. For whatever reason, maybe his outlandish style, maybe for whatever reason I could think of, I, that you could think of, it's probably true. Um, and Anderson uh, brought back some crazy enthusiasm to Denver. And if we're going to talk about Chris Anderson's impact on the Denver Nuggets, I will always first go to his impact on the crowds. They, a lot of them came, hid, came in to see him and J.R. Smith. People forget how popular J.R. Smith was with the crowds at Pepsi Center. 
Um, but Chris Anderson just brought them to cheer. He brought them into a, uh, um, a state of frenzy that hadn't been seen for a long time, probably since about 2003, 2004, Mello's rookie year. And Chris Anderson's impact and that move by Mark Workentine to basically claim him off the scrap heap for a nothing contract was something that is one of the most underrated moves in Nuggets history. Now, you have the conditions set up to a of, of the various parts that were happening at the time. The Nuggets were under heavy criticism. But even with the signing of Chris Anderson, even with uh, George Carl saying that they're going to do things his way, the Nuggets were, were expected to fall completely on their faces. They were expected to be fall out of the playoffs completely. And... Most people, uh, Andy included, me as a, a vociferous commenter on uh, Denver Stiffs, uh, excuse, well, what became Denver Stiffs and was previously George, FireGeorgeCarl.com, uh, agreed this Nuggets team was destined to fall out of the playoffs and start rebuilding again. I think if people were honest at the time, they will say that the Nuggets, everyone expected the Nuggets to fully, fully, start rebuilding. That is how bad a taste that 2000, end of the 2008 season left. And uh, people had seen an Allen Iverson that had clearly lost a step in the 2008 playoffs, and who knows what was going to happen with Iverson. So what we set up now is the conditions for what happened in the 2008-2009 season. And the way things changed the way things changed was I don't think people expected it and in the next podcast we're going to talk about the addition of Chauncey Billups and his fundamental change in the culture and leadership of the 2008-2009 Denver Nuggets and how he you could probably argue that the Chauncey Billups trade in 2000 in, in November of two, yeah, it was in early November two thousand eight. Altered the course of the Denver Nuggets and could potentially be the best trade in Denver Nuggets history. Thank you all for joining me today. Uh, I appreciate it. And there's going to be more, some more of these. This is not a numbered podcast. This is just a special series. So thank you all for joining me. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. <laughs>